All right, what is up, everybody? This is the DE Podcast. We're back once again with myself, Daniel, and today we actually have a special guest with us, a friend of mine, a massive football fan who is also starting to get into basketball. We have Mitchell Stevens on the call with us today. Nice so, to be Mitch, here, guys. Yes, we're, so we're really excited. We're going to talk about the latest developments in the NBA. There's a lot of stuff that's happened. We got, I think, like five or six pretty, pretty good topics for today. And I guess we'll just jump right into it with last night's game where we had the Phoenix Suns play the Golden State Warriors, uh, the two best teams in the NBA. Coming into it, the Warriors had a record of 18-2, and two, and the Suns had a record of, I believe, 17-3. and three. And in that game, the Suns defeated the Warriors of a sc- with a score of 104-96. to 96. They did this without Devin Booker, who ended up going out after the first half due to a hamstring injury. And Steph Curry, during this game, actually had one of the worst shooting nights of his career, where he scored only 12 points on 4 of 21 shooting and 3 of 14 from 3. So just any initial thoughts on that game? I mean, obviously it sucks for Phoenix, but my fantasy team is doomed because Devin Booker was on it. So now he's injured. But um, no, but I mean, for the Suns, it's not good, but... um, they're looking like they're in a pretty good position right now to um, go to the playoffs. And then the Warriors, I mean, I mean, obviously it's not good that Steph Curry didn't have that good shooting performance, but they're 18-3. and three, So it's not like it's like, oh, they, they're so bad. They're 18-3. and three, they're, they're still good. Um, and they still don't have Koi or James Wiseman. So, you know, the Warriors are, are in a good spot even though they lost. It was – it looked like – I think it's possibly a Western Conference Finals matchup um so i'm very excited for that um but yeah that's my thought yeah i mean they definitely won what looks like a shootout if you look at the breakdown here among like over the four quarters it was pretty even throughout the entire game it ended up only being a four, like an eight point spread obviously at the end of the game so i mean do you place that all entirely on curry do you th- I didn't watch the entire game, but I wasn't exactly sure whether a lot of those mistakes were on him, like on himself, whether he was taking too many contested shots. I mean, an off day is an off day. That's not something that we've seen from him. It's obviously, I don't think it's something for Warriors fans to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was just, I actually did watch some of the game towards the end. I, I tuned in for like the last five minutes because I saw that it was really close. And um, what I did notice is, like, Phoenix, they kept throwing defenders at Curry. They threw Mikel Bridges, who's obviously in contention for an all-defensive team this year. They threw Chris Paul, who's always been a good defender. Jay Crowder. They just – they have a lot of guys who are willing to go out there for, um, for Phoenix and really guard Curry. They were, they were putting an emphasis on stopping him. And I will say one thing that was good for the Warriors was the fact that they only lost by – what, eight points, despite literally one of the most atrocious performances of Steph's career. So I honestly have really – there's nothing to worry about for the Warriors, honest, even from this game, right? Like, yeah, Phoenix beat them, but it wasn't by much. They were in it, and their star player didn't even play well at all, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Warriors' three losses, I mean, they lost to Phoenix by eight. I was fortunate to go to the Hornets game, and they lost by, like, four. And it was like super close. Curry played well, actually. So, 
Um, I don't think it was on him. And then they lost to an, an OT to the Grizzlies. Um, so, I mean, even though they've lost, it, it's cool because they haven't had a blowout loss at all this season. And I think the same goes for Phoenix. So, um, the Warriors are looking really good. Much better than last season. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that the difference between last season and this season is that people are actually trying to go around Curry. Like, last year, it felt like Curry was the only guy doing s- stuff and nobody else was helping. Now, Andrew Wiggins stepped up his role. We, Jordan Poole came out and stepped up. Um, Kevon Looney helped out. They signed a couple guys in the offseason. Andre Gadao is back helping out. So, I mean, it's, it's great for the Warriors that they're looking like their old selves again. Um, so, I'm excited for the future for them. And um, one more question about this game. I was actually wondering, so who do you think has a better chance at the number one seed? But, like, when, it, when the season is over, right? So, right now, both teams are tied at 18-3. and three. Phoenix is actually on a 17-game winning streak, right? They started one and three, now they're 18 and three. Completely crazy. But when when the season ends, when we're at that 82nd game, who do you think will be the number one seed in the West? Huh. That's kind of hard to think about. Because you never know when that streak is going to end. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep that up, and whether or not they're going to be. Like, whether this is going to end up being parabolic. Are they going to end up having a dip? Are they going to, like, possibly return to what they did those first few games? You never know. Like, you never know. You'd like to be optimistic. And especially with 17 games, you'd have to assume that's going to keep continuing. But you're, they're going to have to go back into a slump at some point. Yeah, it's not going to last. But in my opinion, it kind of just depends on health. I mean, obviously, there are a bunch of injuries, like today. I looked at my phone. There's so many. It was like Bam Adebayo got injured. Obviously, Devin Booker is now injured. Um, and there are many injuries. So, like, like we saw last season with the Nets and everything, you know, injuries can affect the league. Um, so, I think both teams are doing a good job right now of staying healthy. Um, and the Phoenix Suns, they lost Booker, but he's, he, they said he's only out for the few, next few games. Um, so, even if they do lose one or two of the games, I mean, it's not the end of the world at all. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Like, it's, I agree that it is too much to tell. But just like for a fun pick, I I will go with the Phoenix Suns as the number one seed by the end of the season. That's that's my prediction. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how you factor in like as you were saying the return of Clay, the return of Wiseman. We haven't seen them mesh together like in in addition to what's already been rolling. So you're adding another excellent three point shooter. You're adding another excellent. Like big, you're not. I'm not really sure how that's going to make this team better, and whether or not it's going to propel them like even further. I don't know how much higher they can go. Well, in all honesty, and I'm excited to see that, like what that's what they're capable of with that. Well, yeah, I but will you say, also, yeah. you also, yeah. yeah, you also never know because it's not like Clay Thompson and James Wiseman are going to automatically make the team better. They could go worse. Like Clay Thompson and James Whiting could come out and not and stop and start playing bad, not shooting well. Like based on what I've seen on social media and everything, Clay Thompson, Clay looks like he's in good shape. He's working out. He's now on five of, on five work. James Wiseman is slowly recovering. Um, so I mean, if if you wanted to ask me, I think that they're gonna be better, but you never know. I personally think they will be better because just think about it, right? James Wiseman, okay, he's a he's a good big, but. He's not the main part of this. The main thing is Clay Thompson. And Clay Thompson, we know what he can do. Okay, we've seen 
in 2015 when they won the championship, we've seen what he can do. 2016 when they made it to the finals. 2017, 2018, 2019. All those years that he was playing, he was absolutely elite. Easily the second best three-point shooter in the league behind Steph. He was a reliable option. Every year he was scoring maybe 18 to 20 points per game as even the third option on the team. And adding Klay Thompson to this Warriors team just makes them more dangerous. Because think about it. On a night like yesterday where Steph Curry had a horrible game, Klay Thompson would definitely pick up some of that slack. He would be out there. He would be a reliable option. And maybe that would have been what led the Warriors to beating the Suns yesterday if Klay was playing. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, you're adding a, a player who's attempting seven three-pointers a game, who's shooting 4-19 percentage-wise from three. That's, that's invaluable, and in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. So I guess we'll continue on to the second game of yesterday night, which was the Knicks versus Nets. Another amazing game. I will say yesterday had some really, really good games. And uh, the, it ended up with the Nets prevailing. They won by two points. The final score was 112 to 110. And the Nets won on a last-second foul by Mitchell Robinson, which sent James Johnson to the line. And he made both of his free throws, and then the Knicks just missed a half-court prayer. So after the game, uh, Randall and Tom Thibodeau, the coach of the Knicks, really criticized the refs. They were like, oh, you know, at the end of the game, um, you know, Mitchell, our player, Mitchell Robinson, he fouls the guy. He, he automatically gets two shots, easy foul. But then when our star player, Julius Randall, you know, when he's out there, when he's by the paint, he never gets any calls. He's not getting anything. And we feel that he deserves more. Uh, free throws than he's getting and yeah but I saw today actually I, I read an article on that on NBA.com and um, I mean first if you wanted to see my summary on the game I watched the final minute or two it was crazy because um, the Knicks were down by three and Fernier hit a clutch three over Bruce Brown that was just like beautiful and then Mitch Romney yeah, yeah. that last second and Yvonne Fernier actually almost made that half court shot it was it was crazy, like went in and out. But um, I mean, I read an article and it said that um, rep- the refs, or I don't, I think it was the refs, but they were saying that like Julius Randle, he's stronger, and I don't like that. I, I saw that quote. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, like that's like, like that cannot be an excuse why you're not giving him calls. Like, I can't, even though I'm not like a Knicks or Nets fan, I still don't think it's fair for the Knicks. Um, I mean, to be doing that at the end of the game, like, you can't complain. You should complain midway through the game. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the refing this year, since they made that new rule, I forget, I don't know the full terms of it, but they made the new rule this year, and it hasn't been helping a lot of people in the league. So, I mean, it's definitely more physical um, than it was before. So, I mean, in my opinion, I think in some places it's great, but in some places it's kind of unfair. Um, so I think that... The officiating needs some more time just to for players and coaches to get used to. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Any thoughts on uh, on the new officiating, Mitch? Uh, with the obviously, they've ruled now that non basketball moves, which is like jumping into a defender to draw a foul and like, I guess essentially faking um, like moves, flopping, all that stuff has really been cut down on. Uh, do you think that's good for the game? I would think so. I mean, I've seen a lot of differing opinions, not only on social media, but from players themselves. And frankly, if you look at like a lot of these fouls that used to be called, I feel like 
it definitely makes it's it's been almost a better viewing experience because you never want to see these guys jumping purposely into it and from how blatant a lot of them have been i just feel like getting rid of that it can only bode well for just i i feel like the integrity of the game mm-hmm. i mean i feel like the players i i understand how much their opinions matter but frankly i can't i can't see them getting away with it for too much longer and I'm I'm honestly glad that they don't that they can't be taking advantage of these loopholes anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, one of the biggest guys that was affected by that is of course James Harden. Um, you know, he he always had that step back, which would draw so many fouls from defenders just because of how hard it was to guard and um, the way he was able to just kind of move himself into the body of other people. And um, this year, he's seen a huge reduction in his scoring efficiency just because of those of the of the less amount of fouls and i honestly like i would love to see james harden score i think it's really fun when the star players play well but i think as you said it has to be better than just oh we stop the game every 20 seconds so they can go to the free throw line right it should be a lot more fluid it should be from scoring threes from layups making tough buckets it shouldn't just be every two possessions someone gets a foul right yeah Yeah. good players should be able to work around this rule yeah that's true exactly yeah like i was when I was at the Hornets Warriors game, like there were the officiating, like it, everybody was saying it was terrible. Like there was a lot of booing, but I mean, it, it was based on the new rule. Like there was a lot, especially miles bridges. I think he was flopping a lot, but in a way where, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was physical. Like it was a foul, but they didn't call it. And then there was one time where Curry like almost shoved Lamel when he was shooting a three and then they called an offensive foul on Lamel. So I was like really confused, but just now, right before the podcast, I was watching the um, the Celtic Sixers game, and like Aikman said, like yeah, every twenty seconds there was like a foul, or every thirty forty seconds, for no apparent reason. Um, so yeah, and officiating is a problem, but I think it just takes some time to get used to. Honestly, I feel like it's um, more about how the refs are going about um, enforcing it rather than just the rule itself. I think the rule itself has very few issues, but it's the fact that like. The refs, it's, it's also the first year for them. It's not only the first year for the players, but it's also the first year for refs. They're still also trying to work out, you know, how exactly they're going to call it. And I feel like a lot of fans have yet to realize that, that they're still a bit in like an experimental mode. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of missed calls, a lot of calls that are going to be questionable. And I think in the future, we're going to see it smooth out a lot more. And I feel like that's when you're going to start to see the, like, more positive effects of it. Yeah, yeah, and the more, the more just, I think just in sports in general, but we're talking about basketball here, the more you can avoid having refs step in to call fouls, to call timeouts, just to set out-of-bounds plays, to anything, the more it's the play, the game is up to the players, the better I think the game is. And so ha- this, this rules, like in the long term, what I think it'll do, it'll remove fouls and like as a consequence of refs being in the game as much. And I think that's just great. I think that's just something that needs to be done every, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So good discussion on that. Let's move on to our next topic. We're going to be talking about the Detroit Pistons who obviously Mitch, you're the Detroit sports fan of Morristown, New Jersey. Um, yes, so, sir. 
the the Pistons currently are four and seventeen through twenty one games. Uh, they're being led by Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, and Cade Cunningham, all who are relatively young players. Um, so I guess just what are your thoughts on the Pistons season so far? You could I feel like you could very well make the case that regardless of record, you could look at like how they're measuring up to the Orlando Magic, but they could very well be the worst team in the league in terms of performance. I mean, you look at their star, arguably their star player besides Jeremy Grant, their young, you know, up-and-coming point guard, Kate Cunningham, career night versus the Blazers without Dame Lillard and still get blown out. I don't understand how exactly you can look at that as a fan and still be optimistic. And then you look at Sadiq Bey, who is another up-and-coming wing, and, um, you know, he's his rookie year, he looked very promising shooting from three. Great three and D player. This year, completely different, especially shooting-wise. Defensively, he's been, he's been adequate. But he's currently shooting under 30% from three while getting nearly three open three-point attempts per game. And that is absolutely dismal. <laughs> he is bottom of the league in three-point percentage on wide-open threes. And by the way, Frank Jackson and Kay Cunningham are joining him at the bottom of that list, which is... <laughs> <laughs> not great as well. So you can pretty much say that Sadiq Bey is one of the worst finishers in the league based on volume. And another guy shooting struggles, Isaiah Stewart, a guy that I really like watching. Second team all rookie, like all rookie last year, comes in this year. Currently, shooting is awful, point blank. <laughs> shooting across the board, terrible. Guess what their three-point percentage is as a team currently? Under 35%. 29.5 dead oh last my, Oh, my God. Because think about it. The average three-point percentage in the league has been climbing, climbing. And I think this year it's like 35 36%. So seven whole points under the league average. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That is – it is very, like, poor to watch. And that is – and it's it, – again, it's across the board. And in all, the only one who's been a bright spot from the three-point line has been, I believe, Killian Hayes. I believe he's shooting around 46% on wide-open threes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, now I guess if you go, like, in terms of the future, um, I don't necessarily know what the times table is going to be. I think you're going to have to look a couple of years in the future. Although the one bright spot about this season, another high draft pick. I mean, oh, you, yeah. look at the possibi- you look at the possibilities you've got. Chet Holgreen, Jalen, Jalen Durant, Paulo Benchero, all those guys were going to be available that are now the Pistons can make a beeline towards to build that front court to add to their good young backcourt, defensive backcourt, Cade and Killian, who I think work really well together. They complement each other very well. I would love to see them like really develop together in the future. And then I feel like they should also give a little bit more time to Luca Garza. I really liked him. Second round pick, I feel like they should be able to, especially in a year like this, a developmental year, where they're not necessarily going to see a ton of success, give him more time. I feel like giving him more time to develop and get minutes on, in games that really aren't going to matter a whole lot in the long run, I feel like that could only help you. Yeah, and what you were saying about right, a high draft pick, I think I because think the Pistons' center position, right? they have Luka Garza, but they haven't played him. I'd say that it's relatively Isaiah Stewart's okay. He's he's obviously they had Kelly Olynyk, and then Kelly Olynyk is now injured and out for the rest of the season. So that's yeah. That's so I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you can go. yeah, I mean, 
like, I think this is probably where Agamersh is going, but you look at Cunningham. He's young, right? He's good. Like, you know, he's not a, the best. I don't think he's a bust, but he's, he's good. Um, I think if you were to draft Chet Holgrim, that would be, that, yes. that would help. Because if you have a point guard center duo, that would definitely help the team. And I think right now, the Pistons don't have to worry. Even though they haven't been good for the past five years, they made the playoffs in 2016, but they're currently in the rebuilding process, and they have been for the past couple of years. They gained a couple of good players. I mean, Kelly Olenek is there, and they got a couple of role players in there. But um, I think Chet, Hol- Chet Holmgren would really help. And I think if Kate Cunningham you know, go- plays at that number one pick level that everybody is expecting him to see, then he and Chet Holmgren will be great because he's looked really good in college. Um, so far so i think that yeah and we kind of we see how like center duo center point guard duos are actually really good in the league right now like we have chris paul deandre and obviously devin booker's in there too but i would even say guard center right chris paul deandre or devin booker deandre and then with the sixers when it was when it was working ben simmons joel Embiid, right they, they did make the playoffs they got the number one seed last year they weren't like chumps like they were they were good yeah um lebron and ad another right if lebron is a guard because he plays like one lebron and ad right um who else Uh, i mean curry has a good relationship with like practically everybody on the team Um, would you say uh d mitch and gobert yeah that's definitely Mm. great like center center guard duos seem to be the way to go you have a strong defensive oh jimmy butler bam out of bio you have a strong defensive uh minded center like Joel Embiid, Bam, yeah, Bam's injury. We'll get to that later. Rudy Gobert, and then you have your really high volume scoring guard, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, LeBron, who can score very well. Like you, ha- that seems to be the way a lot of these teams are going. And if the Pistons can get Cade Cunningham playing consistently at that twenty-five point per game level, and then bring in a Chet Holmgren, who's been shown to be very good both offensively and defensively, I think they could be really set to have a good future, like, after maybe 2024. Yeah, I mean, yeah, adding in – Yeah, you know, you can go ahead. Adding in, like, a, like a stretch big, I feel like, would make – just add so many new possibilities to this team. And that's what a lot of people thought Stewart was going to be. He shot really well from three last year. But now with his struggles – I mean, sophomore slump is pretty much what has epitomized this season so far. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say, though, one, one thing about this season, I would say we, we've kind of seen Cade Cunningham get into a rhythm as the season has gone on. Like, just yesterday, he had, a, he had a really good game. He scored 26 points on almost 77% shooting from the field versus the Blazers. Like, yeah, they lost, but it's nice to see young players break out, have good games, and really get familiar with the league that they are eventually going to take lead of. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I think we can move on to the next topic. So we have Kemba Walker, who was out of the rotation, not starting. We have Alec Burks starting for Kemba Walker because Kemba Walker is playing like he's been playing in Boston and here. Um, Very badly. <laughs> yeah, but Clippers want to upgrade their bench, and they have an, and Kemba Walker has his brother, Eric Bledsoe, who's also doing nothing. Um, nine points per game. Um, and um, you know, I think the Clippers may want to trade for Kemba Walker. So will trading for Kemba improve their chance? Or is the West still a way to string for them without Kawhi? I think without Kawhi, the Clippers are still good, right? Like We saw last year in the conference finals, 
without Kawhi, they almost got a hold of the Suns, who were in their prime, technically, if you want me to say that, last season. Um, so I think Kemba Walker is better than um, Eric Bledsoe, but um, you know, I think that it would be, I think it would be a pretty good, um, pretty good trade. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think it could go either way because there's there's kind of two ways to look at it, right? First of all, Kemba Walker, I'm not sure the exact contents of the deal, but I'm pretty sure he's getting paid like over 18 million a year yeah, right I now, think so. Something which like is that. way too overpriced for a player who is averaging 11 points per game on under 45% for the field. And he's also a semi-high volume guy. Like he needs the ball in his hands to score. He's not really, a ca- he's not known as a catch and shoot player. Like when he was an all-star, he had the ball in his hands. So I think it would be good if he can kind of return to his form where he's averaging almost 19 to 20 points off the bench, give the Clippers that, I guess, second or third option behind Paul George. And then actually probably second option at this point, because the Clippers really don't have any other scoring guards. Um, yeah, I mean, currently can... they're. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, currently the starting point guard on the roster is Reggie Jackson. Yeah, he's, so not, he's not bad, but he's like he's not great. I mean, he's been he's been their starter for the past couple of years, but I mean, I see your point. They they do need an upgrade, I think, personally. So like, I kind of I kind of wonder though, like, is it? I don't know why the Clippers would kind of do this because if you think about it, this season is kind of just like how the Pistons are a rebuilding season. This is like the Clippers like recuperating season right they're not they're not going for the title this year there's no point right they don't have Kawhi. they're they don't match up well against any of the other teams in terms of star power and maybe even the way their team is built so i would just honestly not worry about making trades to improve their record in the short term and just focus in the long term maybe next year when Kawhi comes back then you really compete for the championship because we've seen what Kawhi can do like in toronto obviously in 2019 and uh, he's a proven championship contender wherever he goes. And I think they should just focus on next season as opposed to trying to make trades now to boost their standings in a very competitive conference. Yeah, I mean, the West looks really, I guess, I don't know what the word is, but it kind of looks kind of obvious by now. I mean, the Warriors and the Suns are the front-running teams. You have um, some side teams that you have the Utah Jazz, you have the Dallas Mavericks, um, who look pretty confident. Another guard-center duo with Doncic and Porzingis, who is doing much better this season um, than he usually did. Um, and then you have some other side teams. The Lakers, Lakers are in a slump. Um, but, well, we'll discuss that later. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we we'll get discuss that later. Um, but, I mean, I think that the Clippers can make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, in terms of the championship, no, I don't think they have a big chance. Um, but... You know, I think it's it's bright for the Clippers. It's it's kind of similar to the Pistons, like situation, not to the level that they're at, but you know, you have an injured star. You need players. You need to get wins, not be a laughing stock of the internet. Um, but um, yeah, the Clippers are are good, so I won't be surprised if they make a, a pretty good run in the playoffs. Um, but we'll see what happens when Kawhi comes back, obviously. It's not a young team, though. You look at the average age of that starting lineup. It's, you know, around 31, 32 years old. And going a little bit going back to the Kemba thing, you're adding another 31-year-old guard to a company, a lineup of guys that, that it seems like a very win, kind of win now, almost win in the next couple of years team based on, like, 
you know, how much the current starting lineup is going to be able to improve based on their age. Yeah, and I mean, they kind of, I will say, they, they, all, they did blow their chances in, in some ways. Obviously, last season it's excusable because Kawhi got injured. But the season before that, right, losing in the second round, choking a 3-1 lead away to the Denver Nuggets, that was the year where everybody expected the Clippers to make the run to the finals to win. Obviously, that didn't happen. And now they're kind of, they're, they're in a really weird position because I feel like if Kawhi comes back and plays like he normally does, Oh, boom. They're up there with the Warriors. They're up there with the Lakers if they play properly. They're up there with the Suns at the top of the Western Conference. But if Kawhi takes even just another year to adjust back into basketball, right? Because an ACL, I think, is I think he tore his ACL. An ACL is no joke, right? To come off of in less than 1.5 years, I believe, will be the time uh, the time span. So if Kawhi does take time to get better, next season again might be another season where they're in this limbo at the sixth or seventh seed where they don't really have a chance to compete, but they're not at the bottom of the league. And that is just the worst position that you can be in, especially when you're an old team, right? You're not, you're not looking like you're going to get better to the point where you can compete. And you're not bad enough to where you'll just get the number one draft pick, get some young talent and be really good. So the Clippers are in a really weird spot right now. I feel like they kind of have to figure out where that window is and how much time they necessarily have left. And, you know, it's because I don't think they can necessarily make any more moves and that Kemba Walker might be wanted in order to do it now or the year after. But yet, like, like you said, they're kind of running out of time. Yeah, and I mean, funny, but at the same time, it's kind of sad because, like, the Clippers franchise itself just embodies disappointment in a lot of ways, whereas the Lakers is the winning franchise. And once again, right, I remember when Kawhi signed with Paul George back in after in 2019, I was like, oh, my God, the LeBron's in trouble. LeBron doesn't have a chance. Uh, it's time. It's the season. And you just the past two, and in this case, this season also, the third season, just have all been disappointments. They've never really been able to achieve what they wanted to go out and do. So uh, t- tough luck for the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, the day that they signed um, Kawhi and Paul, I cried. Um, but because of, you know, the Raptors <laughs> and everything, like we could have gotten a second ring, but uh, yeah, I guess he doesn't want it. Yeah. Kawhi should have never left Toronto, honestly. Because even without Kawhi, we made the second round, lost in a heartbreaker to, to the Celtics. Um, but no, but anyways, um, yeah, the Clippers are in a weird position. I mean, they're in a good spot. I mean, overall, like right now, like it's not like they're the worst team in the NBA. They're not the best team in the NBA. Um, like, like you said about the Clippers being, you know, the not so popular team and the Lakers being the best franchise in LA or whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah, LA has more. I think that the Lakers have more fans. But honestly, if you want to look right now, I think the Clippers might be the better team just because the Lakers are not doing good and, and um, we have a – and we'll talk about Debatable. That. Yeah. We'll see. Um, we'll see. So, I mean, the Clippers aren't good. They're, they're good. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, that's all I have to really say about that. What I would say is I think the Clippers should look to trade with, like, the Houston Rockets or even the Pistons or just acquire young talent for the future because they basically gave it all away. If you remember that Paul George deal, they gave away Shai Gildas Alexander, who is now one of the best players under the age of 24. They gave up like seven 
or seven picks for Paul George. They just gave up all their draft stock for like until 2027 so they could make that Paul George move. And they obviously got Kawhi after. So I think what's necessary now, if I think they go walk around, we prepare for Kawhi's return next season, boom or bust, try and win that championship and fulfill our goal. Or do we be more cautious? Let's try and get some draft picks, some young talent. Surround that with Paul George. And maybe if Kawhi and Paul George stay, we can win in the next two years instead of the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, well, personally, personally, I would go the more cautious route because I, I don't think their chances are very high of winning a championship even next season. There's just too much competition that I'm seeing around the league. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the the West is competitive, but then even if you beat the West, you still have the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving still isn't back, obviously. Um, but if he does come back, I mean, you, you, have to face, you have to face the Nets in the finals. Like, even facing the Warriors or Suns in the conference finals is a tough task. But facing, them, facing the Nets in the finals after all that work, that's going to be tough because the East and West, like, it used to be – where the West is so competitive and the East is like LeBron finals. All right, let's see who's going to join them. Um, but, you know, now I, I feel like the East is much more competitive than it is. And the West is also competitive. Um, so I think it's great for the league. I mean, it's such a big balance. I think that I won't be surprised if TV ratings go up because there's so many better games. Like before, like I remember last season, it was funny because the Suns and the Jazz were the two you know highest teams in terms of standings in the West. And you looked, and they played one day. They, were, they played on a league pass. And everybody tried to buy the game to watch because it was, you know, two good teams. And instead, like, the NBA TV game was like, I think it was like Lakers versus like, I think it was Lakers Bucks, which is a good game. But people wanted to watch Phoenix versus Utah more than they wanted to watch that. Um, so I think all these teams, because two years ago, we wouldn't say that Phoenix is going to be an NBA finalist and possibly an NBA Finals or champion this year. Um, so many teams are, you know, opening up, getting good guys, having good team chemistry, and just going with the league um, and getting better and better and better. So I think it's great. And, yeah, and to kind of bounce off of that, I think you kind of saw that with last season, right, with the finals, right? The finals was the Suns versus the Bucks. I, I mean, going into that season, I thought it was going to be Lakers-Nets, right, New York versus L.A., but, no, we got we – got, Milwaukee versus Phoenix. And I don't think anybody expected that. And then the Bucks winning the championship, that showed that these small market teams, right, the ones that are in Wisconsin or in Indiana, Cleveland, those types of teams have a chance to compete in the NBA nowadays just because of the way the league has kind of been spread out and the way draft talent is being much more spread out throughout the league. Um, so I think it's really good for the NBA if we continue to see this kind of uh, parody where the 11th seed is going to have a winning record in both conferences. That's that's just perfect, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I think moving on um, to most likely our last topic for the day, the Lakers, they lose the second best player of all time, LeBron James, um, due to COVID. LeBron is out for 10 days minimum with COVID, even though he has gotten the vaccine. Um, 
after playing three games back from injury where he dropped an average of 34 points per game, 8.7 assists per game, 5.7 rebounds per game on 47% shooting from the field, and having a good Thanksgiving dinner after his performance versus the Pacers, um, he's gone. Um, and the Lakers play the Clippers, Celtics, and Grizzlies in the time span that he will be out. Um, they're currently 12-11 and 11, um, and one game out of the fourth seed and one game out of the tenth seed. So like we just said before, um, the West is very close. Um, so what do you think, like, the record will be through these games and, like, where will they other them? Like, can AD and Russ deliver? We saw, I think it was, uh, it was either last night or the night before, they played the Kings and they smacked the Kings, and AD and Russell Westbrook both came out. Um, so not just where you think they're going to be for, for the next the, um, the games that LeBron, but also overall on the season. What do you guys think about that? I think the first stat that I've um, found right here, if you look at last year through – 27 games, the Los Angeles Lakers were 12 and 15 without LeBron. So mm-hmm. I guess they're not, it's not going to be like 27 games now with this COVID thing. It's going to be not, four it's probably going to only be four or five games. So, you know, I feel like they can, you know, you'd look at, say, winning like three out of those five games at the, I would say, two at the very least. They, they might encounter a bit of a slump, but I think it's something that they can probably recover from like pretty quickly. Yeah, but I think the issue here is the fact that the Lakers haven't had Le- – LeBron already missed eight games, I believe, before he got COVID due to an abdominal, abdominal strain. And uh, what resulted in was them being, I believe, 9-10. and 10. LeBron came back. Um, they went 2-1. and one. So they were 11 and 11, if not, yeah, they were 11, 11. And that record there doesn't give them any, they doesn't give them any leeway to lose, right? Because if you lose one game, you're under 500. You're probably moving down from the, say the eighth seed to the 10th, if not the 11th seed. So uh, the issue is that right now where they are, they don't, they don't, they can't really afford to lose any games. They have to win more games than they lose if they really want to stay uh, in the hunt because at some point no matter how good the team it is if you fall like uh, seven eight games under 500 it's a really really tough effort to even get to a six seed no matter who you have on your team so I think the Lakers are actually in a pretty scary position I think they really have to try and essentially win out these next four games get some leeway be like 15 and 11 or something so that they have a decent record and they can afford to go forward and lose games when they have people out for injury. Yeah, I mean, what you said dating back to, like, the, um, like, you know, if you're below 500, like the Houston Rockets even. I mean, yeah, they're 1-16, and 16, went on, like, a 15-game losing streak. But they're on a three-game winning streak. I mean, they're playing well, but they're still 4-16. and 16. That's just terrible. So it's going to take, like, a 15 to – like, what the Phoenix Suns are doing right now, a 17-game winning streak to get back into at least some contention for the plan. And I think for the Lakers, I mean, they're currently 12-11. and 11. Um, The 10 seed is the Blazers at 11-11, and 11, and the Kings are the 11 seed at 8-14. and 14. So the difference between the 10 seed and the 11 seed is pretty big. So um, I, I understand your point about the fact that, you know, they're in a scary position, there, and they are. Um, but – if they do lose, they're going to be to 10th seed, and they, they'll have to lose like three, four games consecutively in order to go down. 
Um, but then the five seed is the Grizzlies at 11 and 10, and the four seed is the Mavericks at 10 and 9. So the Lakers are like they could, if they win, they can go to the four seed or they can go to the 10 seed. Um, so it's definitely very tight in the Western Conference. But again, it's still the beginning of the season. If you wanted my opinion on how they're playing so far in the season and where they're going to end up, I think it's going to be a play-in. Um, maybe make the plays, maybe not. Um, but you never know. It's still it's 23 games in. It's about a quarter into the season. You still can't predict. Like the Suns went on a huge winning streak. Maybe the Lakers go on a huge game, you know, winning streak. Maybe the Warriors gonna go on a huge losing streak. Um, so the league is very unpredictable. So you never know what could come to you. Exactly. It's like you wonder who is going to step up in his absence. And, you know, players can go on hot streaks for like three to four games. And you wonder if a player like that we haven't necessarily seen yet picks up the pace and, you know, ends up filling in for that production as hard as that is going to be. Maybe they end up being all right. Yeah, I think that was the reason why they got um, Russell Westbrook specifically instead of like, a Buddy Heald, who would have been a very reliable three-point shooter for LeBron, right? Russell Westbrook, when he, the job that he's supposed to do is he's supposed to come in and just give you wins when LeBron is out. And we've already seen him try to do that. He hasn't been as successful this season. But I think when what we saw last year with the Wizards, where the Wizards, I would think, were like 16 games uh, under 500 or something. They were a huge they were a very big losing team. And then they went, I believe, they went on a huge winning streak, yeah. winning like 18 games, losing two or something. And they were able to get into a play in position, mainly because of the play of Russell Westbrook. So I think the Lakers saw that and they were like, LeBron has been getting more and more injured every year. And he's probably going to get injured in this next season. He's probably going to sit out more. So we want the guy who can just carry us to get wins when LeBron is out. And that's Russell Westbrook. Um, if he can do that in the next few games, next few weeks, uh, then I think the Lakers will be in a good position. But so far he hasn't, so I just don't know if I can I can trust it to happen. Yeah, it's a good proving point for him. Yeah, definitely. And I will say though, I will say um, he has been playing better in the past. I think five to six games, he's been averaging almost like twenty four, twenty five points per game over that stretch, I believe, and. He's actually been shooting decent from three. He's been shooting, I believe, 36% from three when usually he's in the, in the high 20s. So he is, he's getting better, I will say. Yeah, I credit. think that the whole performance on Westbrook is kind of, you know, it kind of like the performance of Westbrook kind of depends on the, the performance of the team depends on how Westbrook is doing. Like, especially without LeBron. With LeBron, it's LeBron is, you know, obviously good. So... I think it's kind of less there, but you know we've we've seen even this season, and with the Wizards, if he's not playing good, the team maybe wins. They still have AD. AD could come up and do a thirty-five um, point performance, but you know if he plays good, you're winning for sure. Um, and with the Lakers, they have such a roster where you know it should be like the Warriors, where if your star player is not playing well. You have guys to help you. They have Malik Monk. They have Dwight Howard. They have DeAndre Jordan. They have a lot of people. Carmelo Anthony, right? Yeah, that was Carmelo, the big pickup of the exactly. season. Yeah. So if Carmelo comes out, you know, he could Rondo. be six, he could be a six man of the year candidate. Yeah, so, you know, I think the whole thing 
you know, now kind of wrapping my head around it. Yeah, like the Lakers need to work on the on the team chemistry and the bench. Yeah, yeah they kind of if you just wrote all the names on a piece of paper and you read down the list, you would think that this team is is crazy, right? Just by the names: Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor uh, Ariza. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, Trevor Ariza's been injured, so <laughs> he, he hasn't been there. But just like. You would think that that's perfect, right? That's exactly what they need. But the issue is, they're they're all old, right? They they're not they're not the same guys they were even two years ago. So I think that's probably the reason why the Lakers haven't been winning without LeBron. I believe they're like four and seven without LeBron or something like that. Um, well, they have a what I think now it's seven and four record with it, something like that. I'm not sure exactly, but yeah. They 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 need to they need to start winning without him, especially against teams like the Kings, right? We saw them do it last night, but they need to do it consistently. They need to beat the Kings. They need to beat the the Thunder. They need to be able to beat those types of teams, right? You don't want to start losing to teams that are bad without your star, because that's going to make it even harder for him when he comes back and when you start to play better teams, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, your their current crop of young players, Malik Monk and Taylor Horton Tucker, and that's probably just about the only players on the roster that are under 25 years old. And that's those aren't the guys that you necessarily want stepping in, like in replacement of these proven veterans. At least not yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker has a pretty bright future, but I see your point. Yeah, like, he's still young. I mean, he's not doing his best yet, but he does have potential. Like, we've seen a couple of good games from him. Um, yeah, so but they, really they, they can't really – they don't want that right now, right? They're yeah. trying to go for the championship. It's not – they're not the, – they're the opposite of the Detroit Pistons, right? Yeah. They, they can't afford to sit around for even, even two games and be like, hey, we'll, let, we'll put in all of our rookies, all of our bench players, we'll <laughs> let them chuck 45 shots from three, 50 shots from three, do whatever they want, get some development. No, they have, they have to win every single game. So they can't they, – I, I, they just can't afford to – develop these players at this time yeah um so actually one last thing that i wanted to touch on today um we have i wanted to touch on the nba kia rookie ladder um because i just felt like there's so much there's so many interesting things that happened in the past couple of weeks um not just from the raptors but you know from every sim- uh, from yeah, every yeah. I know, I know Mobley coming back um, and everybody, and you guys have the link. Um, so, um, just on a short recap of the last week, um, Ivan Mobi has come back to action um, after an injury, and he put up four blocks in his in his first game back, which is crazy. Um, we had did have some bad news with the Orlando Magic rookie Jalen Suggs, who suffered a fractured thumb. So he will be out for an extended period of time. Um, so I think we can go for the top five of the rookie list. We don't have to go through everybody. Um, but we have number one, obviously, Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors. Um, I think we can just talk from one to five. So um, his season stats are 15.2 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, and 3.3 assists per game. Um, and since the last ladder, he's been averaging 18.3 points per game, about eight rebounds and just above three assists. Um, and the team, the team's been doing okay. Um, 
we've been losing, but you know, it's all good. We were six and three, now we're nine and twelve, but you know, it's all good. Um but um no Scotty Barnes had has had been, has he's been having great performances. He's obviously one of the best players on the team behind probably Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Um he scored twenty one points against the Celtics on Sunday. Um so he's leading the rookie class in minutes, scoring, rebounding. Um and also um you know we had, there's an interview with Fred Van Vliet, who is a veteran for the team, um, encouraging advice to according to the athletic. And he said that I think you should, you should tr- chase greatness and you shouldn't fall into the trap and the woes of what it means to be a rookie. Um, and I think that, you know, he's, he's followed that advice and he's proven himself that he can be a candidate for rookie of the year. So uh, what do you guys like think about that? I mean, if you currently look at um, NBA usage rate, Scotty Barnes specifically, I believe, is 19.3%. Usage rate, for those that don't know, is an estimate of the percentage of team plays used by a player while he was on the floor. And Scotty Barnes, like I said, 19.3%. He's sitting currently um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, top 10. Currently, I believe, in ninth, sitting behind the likes of Josh Giddy, Chris Duerte, Trey Mann. Sugg is currently leading 25.4%. So he's definitely in the top of the class in terms of you know, how much he's being involved in the Raptors play game to game. And, you know, like you said, he's been doing very well with that kind of workload. Yeah. And it was, it's so weird. I honestly think it's a little bit strange because when, when they, right, Jalen Suggs was obviously expected to be taken fourth overall, not Scotty Barnes, right? Everybody expected Jalen Suggs to come in to be that, I believe he plays shooting guard, to be the shooting guard for the team, play alongside Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. And they, and they drafted, Scotty Barnes, who naturally is supposed to play the power forward position. And I think it's really interesting how well that Siakam and Scotty Barnes have been able to play on the court, especially recently, despite the fact that they both have very similar games and play the same position. And I think starting Scotty Barnes at small forward has been absolutely great for the Raptors. And if this continues to fit like this uh, does, and we see Siakam continue to play well at that all-star level and Scotty Barnes start to really become better in the coming years, I think that duo could actually be quite deadly, right? It might be, I'm not going to try and jinx anything, but it could be similar to how Paul George and Kawhi play off of each other. Yeah. Um, so I think we can go to number two. It's Yvonne Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, he is back from his sprained right elbow and the Cavs have won the two games that he has been there from the absence. And since the last rookie ladder, he's averaged about 13 points per game, eight eight rebounds and three assists. Um, So he's doing great. His defensive rating per 100 possessions is 99.3, which is insane. Um, And he leads the next closest, Chris Duarte, who was 103 which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I think Evan, Evan Mobley is just, he's my favorite rookie. I just really like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Also, I'm so glad that they're finally good again, or at least better than they were. And he's just, he's incredible because uh, Cleveland, they play a lot of two big man lineups, which is like what they did in the nineties. They don't do that anymore. Right. They play, they play Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley or Kevin Love and Evan Mobley. And those lineups actually work really, really well. Like, you'd think the spacing would be completely messed up. Like, oh, we can't have two guys who are seven foot on the court. 
but it works well because of Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley can shoot well, so he's that stretch big that they need. He can, he's usually in the corner or up the top of the key. He's always uh, ready to shoot, and then he can also move really well on the defensive end. Like I saw him guarding people like Kevin Durant, uh, even James Harden, and uh, and a bunch of other small forwards, which was just incredible, right? He's a seven foot center, but he's able to be mobile enough to where he can move to keep up with even guards um, on defense. And I think that fact that you know, is just so incredible. I think he's going to be he's 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 resembles Anthony Davis a lot in the way he plays, and. He, he honestly, I see him moving up past Scotty Barnes if he continues to just be as good as he um, is, just because of the fact that, first of all, Cleveland's winning more than the Raptors, and uh, um, Evan Mobley is just incredible defensively. Okay, that's a good point. Okay, I might believe that. <laughs> but, um, that's, yeah, that's good. Um, so I think moving on, we can go to the last person that we will discuss today just because. Um, I think we should do top three just because I don't think anything else is important. But we have Cade Cunningham. Um, you know, obviously we talked about him earlier. Did not have the best start, but since then he's been doing pretty well. Um, his team sucks, but, you know, you, you can't do much about that. Um, but, you know, he's av- after 15 games, um, you know, he's doing pretty like, – they compared him to actually Lamelo. Um, last year so they said that you know last year with Homelo after 15 games he was averaging like about 12 points six and a half rebounds six assists um, and Cam Cunningham Cade Cunningham is shooting worse um, he's shooting 33.5 percent overall and 24.5 percent from three that's like Russell Westbrook level so that's worse than Russell Westbrook. That is though. worse than Russell Westbrook. So he has oh not been having a good season. Um, and they were 4-11 and 11 in his first 15. Um, so, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, his team's not doing well, but he can definitely improve himself if he wants to win Rookie of the Year. I think he does have he's, – he's capable of it. His team is not capable of making the playoffs, but you know, what do if you? He guys can improve think? his shooting. He might. He might be more in consideration. Yeah. Oh, hey. what do you guys think about Cade Cunningham so far this season? So I just looked up his NBA scouting report from last year, and I want you to guess who they compared him to on uh, NBA.com here. Lamelo, Luka Doncic, and Jimmy Butler. I was gonna say Kyrie more than anybody. But they said he had Luke shades Butler. of shades of Luca and Jimmy Butler on here. His uh, he was, is not even theirs though. That's very high praise. And his projected NBA role is a playmaking floor general and franchise cornerstone. And playmaking floor general is a little bit of what you see shades of it. But I at at the moment, it's I've you you haven't seen enough to necessarily um you know, make any of those comparisons worthwhile. But it's, there's, you can definitely be hopeful for like what he could develop into. And I think that could be something along the lines of one of those two. Yeah. But I think it's a weird comparison. Cause like they're kind of, I think they're different types of players, right? Especially with Luca. I feel like Luca is a lot more, um, 
passing oriented. He's a, he's a far better playmaker than I've seen Cade Cunningham be. I, I always looked at Cade Cunningham to be more of like the typical shooting guard s player where he's, he's taking a lot of shots and he's making, hopefully making a lot of them uh, as opposed to someone who's really running the offense in the way Luka Doncic does. Like Luka essentially controls the whole floor for his team uh, when he's there. He's making nearly every pass to the to a player. He's scoring a lot. He's doing really everything. And I don't think that Cade Cunningham is that type of player, but um, I would, I would have seen him more be like a Kyrie Irving or like, maybe a Donovan Mitchell, for, at least from how I've seen this season. Yeah. Right? He shoots a lot. He's pretty high volume. He's not the most efficient in the world, but he can get you points if he's, if he's uh, shooting about 40%. I think the Pistons are just trying to fit him into the mold of that floor general because that's what they desperately need. And I think they're going to have to have a bit of that you know, power struggle between what he is and what they need him to be. And it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years about what he develops into and whether or not the Pistons' influence on what they need, as well as his, you know, his chemistry with, um, you know, the fellow backcourt and Killian Hayes and maybe whoever they get could probably change his role um, a little bit as well. Yeah, but I don't see him getting anywhere close to the rookie of the year, just because. Um, how good the other two players have been. Like, they've been far more efficient already. I don't see Cade suddenly, you know, starting to shoot like 55% from the floor and 40% from three. But um, the other players have been far more efficient. Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes are both, I would say, pretty well, uh, pretty, sorry, much better than him on defense uh, from what I've seen. And... Um, they also have been scoring well, which you wouldn't expect from, especially from Evan Mobley, you wouldn't expect him to be scoring better than Cade Cunningham. But uh, his rookie of the year chances, I think, aren't that high. But if he can, right, they, the Pistons drafted him at number one off of potential, right, more than anything else. And if he can start to, I guess, if the Pistons obviously can give him a role that he'll fit well into, and then he can also start to uh, improve his own game and refine it from playing this season, then I could easily see him being the best player out of any of these guys. Yeah, I think Would you, that... you can go ahead. No, you've, I've cut oh, you off. Okay, okay. I think that, um, I think that the rookie of the year right now is like between Scotty Barnes and Yvon Mobley. Um, but I mean, I've said this probably like the fifth time this podcast, but you know, the season's only a quarter through. I mean, it's, it, it feels like it's been, like, forever because it's been, like, a month and a half. But, like, what Acomer said with Scotty Barnes, if he shoots well, you know, he'll be there. Um, I think that, you know, the Pistons themselves don't have a chance at getting there to the playoff stage. But um, I think... You know, if Kay Cunningham over this next few, over these next like six months plus, if he ups his level, you know, gets good numbers, for, especially versus the big guys. And I think that defense is a good part too, um, because it's not like rookie of the year is determined by most points averaged. Um, you know, like both Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley, like they're not averaging twenty five points per game in the rookie in their rookie years. Like Scotty's averaging like fifteen, Evan Mobley's averaging I think something around that. So. You know, if Kate Cunningham gets there on defense, like, you know, gets rebounds, gets blocks, helps out his team, gets assists, I think that is definitely going to, you know, make his chances of being a rookie of the year higher. As of right now, 
they're not hot, but you know, you never know what could happen. That said, Eck, do you possibly see him as an All NBA can All NBA rookie candidate without like with maybe um, rookie of the year out of the question for Kid Cunningham? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't think because right they do it like the All NBA teams they do it by position, and there isn't really any other point guard shooting guard that's been better than him this season. Right, Evan Mobley plays center and Scotty Barnes plays power forward, so they're automatically not in contention. Uh, I don't think there's been anybody that's been better than. Kate cutting him at that position, right? I think the closest might be Josh Giddy, but even he, he's he's not as good. He's 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 also had his issues with inconsistency. And actually, one thing that's weird: one person I have not heard a word about. I'm actually wondering this right now, right? Jalen Green, the number two pick, the one, the guy that went to the Houston Rockets. Oh yeah, he got Maybe injured, I think. Really? Yeah. Because I'm I'm just wondering because I haven't seen him much at all. I mean I haven't been watching the Houston Rockets lose 16 in a row, but yeah, I'm just, they're I'm not just a national television. That's probably why. I'm just wondering what what he's been doing. Yeah, he uh, yeah he got an injury. Um, I yeah he got injured against Chicago about seven days ago. It said five days ago that he was out at least a week. So I don't think it's a big injury, but I'm not. Completely sure what it is, but uh, speaking of injuries, Jalen Suggs also UCL tear in his thumb. He'll be out yeah, for a little while that. as well. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I, even Jalen Green. I mean, he's kind of had the same struggles as Kate Cunningham, where he's averaging 14 points a game, which is a good good number for a rookie. But he's doing it on 38 percent shooting from the field, and then 27 percent from three. Yeah, it's he's currently number 10 in the power rankings. So like, he's not – yeah, I mean, it's the he's same thing. Yeah. Same thing with yeah, Kate Cunningham. Like, it's interesting because, yeah. like, both of those guys were, like, drafted by franchises who essentially dumped out all their other players over the past few years, right? The Rockets, John Wall, James Harden. Russell. I think all the players that they got – that the Rockets got back from the uh, James Harden trade have just been cut or were <laughs> removed entirely from the roster. And then the Pistons, obviously, they've been slowly trading away everybody. Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, they've all gone. We have Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey. So both of those teams really just cleaned house in way and made way for these two guys. And I think that honestly might be part of the reason why they're struggling. Because they don't have like a solid core which they can kind of jump into and they can, I guess, learn from. Yeah, I think that the um the Rockets like the, this past three games. I don't think Jalen Green was in any of them. Um, you know, Christian Wood he stepped up. Like he got, I think he got like thirty five, thirty, and then twenty eight or something like that. Like Christian Wood played well, and uh, and last we saw last season, he when he plays well, the team does well. So I mean, um, with the Rockets, it's it's very similar to the Pistons. They're rebuilding. They might have a star player or two with Jalen Green. John Wall is itching to play, um, but um, they, they refuse to put him in. Yeah, yeah, I think they might put him out of the rotation. I think he might be a bench player, not a starter. Um, but then also last season we saw a little bit of Kevin Porter Jr. He got a fifty-point night once, um, so there was a lot of buzz, and he actually isn't bad at all. He's playing well. So the Rockets, when you kind of look at their lineup, they have a good lineup. You just have to, you know. Like good lineups doesn't mean you're automatically gonna win. Good like like we saw this summer with you know, Laker the Lakers. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. There are many teams. But so I guess I think this would be my final question to Mitch. Do you think that it's 
against both of you, actually. Do you think that it's um, good for franchises to kind of clean house before they get, a, I guess, a general, or they think they're getting a generational talent and kind of leave it up to the generational talent to figure things out and then slowly build up to contention? That's that's a bit of a tough one, but I've I've seen it countless times in Detroit sports. You see that a lot of these teams go through it almost every other year. I mean, you take like a lot of Cleveland teams. I'd hate to make a football reference again, but like the Cleveland Browns, they clean house almost every few years. You know, they don't, and it's it's hard for teams to do that. It's hard for the fans to watch them go through another like rotation where they go back to the drawing board and try and get another star to experiment around. And, you know, it's how long can you do that until you, you know, until you hit, until you find that success? How many times do you necessarily want to do that? And how many years do you want to give each experiment? And it's, it's very, it's, it's very team to like team to team. And it also relies on the front office, the competency of the front office and, I don't think Detroit really has that highly. I mean, Dwayne Casey, I don't know a whole lot about him, but based on the past few years, it definitely doesn't seem like he's the type of like he's the type of head coach to really be able to build a team from the ground up. And there aren't many coaches that can do that. And do you necessarily also want to hunt around for a coach that can do that? Granted, I think it is necessary to sometimes start over, but it's just it's, sometimes they do it too quickly. You see a lot of teams abandon players too quickly after a couple of years or abandon a coach after a couple of years if they don't get immediately what they want. And I think it's just a matter of knowing when to commit to that certain star and wait it out. Yeah, I mean, for me, like when you were saying, you're, I was trying to think about like, you know, the greatest of all time, like Michael Jordan, LeBron, like obviously there was in 2020 during quarantine, there was the last dance documentary and I was, I'm trying to think back to it because when Michael Jordan was drafted, there wasn't a real star on the Bulls. The Bulls sucked. Um, I mean, their best player was Charles Oakley at the time. Um, so I feel like if you like, you want, if you want a rookie to sign shine, um, like obviously the worst teams usually have, you know, the top picks in the draft. I think it's actually good because it's not like you're limiting the player. Like if someone was to draft a point guard right now on the Warriors, I think they would be limited because Steph Curry is going to be playing most minutes and you're going to get like five, 10 minutes a game. So I don't like, I think it's good because you're not limiting the player to anything. The player can go out, get used to the environment, get used to everything and go perform. And actually on the Warriors, like it, Jonathan Kamingo, like, yeah, like he's not a starter. Andrew Wiggins is a starter. He's going to get much more minutes. Jonathan Kaminga, like he's different. He did a good job of making sure that he's, he, you know, he's there on the roster. Like, he's performing every night. He's putting on good numbers. But, I mean, I think it is good that, that franchises are kind of clearing their rosters so they can fit in the rookie. And then and you saw in the Bulls, Michael Jordan had there. Then in 87, they drafted Scotty Barnes. And it's also like Steph Curry. 2009, Warriors suck. <laughs> you know, drafted Curry. They brought Clay in in 2011. Then they brought Draymond Green in in 2014. So they kind of shaped their entire roster in a matter of like five, six years. So, you know, like, like we were discussing before about, you know, Kate Cunningham and Chet Holmgren. Yeah, 
like over the next few years, you're going to get some rookies on your team. And you never know. That could be the next Golden State Warriors. That could be the next 90s Bulls. That could be the next, you know, LeBron Cavs. So it's, it's the same thing with LeBron, too. Bad boy Pistons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We need to bring back the old Detroit. You got to bring back the bad boys. Yeah, I think just like the final point I would have to say is they, teams have to give more time to players, honestly. Because I feel like you, you brought this to my mind. Even Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was drafted in 1984. The first time that he went to the finals and obviously won was seven years later. It's not like he was, I think he was drafted at what, 23 or something. And then he won at probably 30 or something. He, he won very late in his career. LeBron James, he spent seven years in Cleveland. Obviously they didn't work out, but it took him a very long time to get to the point where he became, the team became good enough and he became good enough to contend. And when they did contend, they were good. So Mm -hmm. developing, I guess time is what a lot of teams need to give their players. Assuming, assuming they're going to pan out, but time, time is needed. And I think like everything about this, like it takes time. Like I think a lot of fans, um, I think a lot of fans are kind of overreacting because they're saying, like, you know, you get a rookie, you have to win the championship the first or second year they're there. Like, everything takes time. Like, we, it's kind of like with the Hornets right now. Lamelo came in 21, yeah, 2020. Everybody expected them to go to the playoffs and everything, or at least not everybody, but some people. And they made the plan. They lost by, like, 45 to the Pacers in the plan, um, which Charlotte was very sad after that. But, um, I mean... And now, you know, they're number five in the East. So the Hornets are rising and rising as Lomelo is there. And Lomelo is just getting better and better. He's, he's there for the entire ride. And then, they're just, and then they're getting new players on the team. So I think that, it's, it, that process is very good because it, it, it doesn't feel like Lomelo is a woman. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, wow, that was quite the podcast. Almost, I think, now an hour and ten minutes running. So we got we covered a lot of things. We went we went from the league's very best teams to ending off with the league's very worst. We I think we got got a lot of stuff done. Uh, thank you both of you, of course, for and thank you, Mitch, for coming on for being our. Oh, it was a pleasure. Guest. It was a pleasure. And I think we'll definitely we'll definitely call you back for more. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I love talking sports, and um, I hope to keep learning about the nba um in the future and like you said i would love to i would love to be back if you offer the offer me the opportunity yeah all right well i guess we're signing off now all right Thank you for thanks listening. guys make sure to follow on instagram subscribe on youtube like the video follow us on spotify apple podcasts all the platforms you could think of um, but yeah guys with that being said thank you guys so much for listening and we will be seeing you guys next time